Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So part two of a Christmas playlist, Mary, did you know? How many of you, that's like your favorite Christmas song? Wait here, we got some people here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, Josh? That's your favorite Christmas song? Okay, bro. That's my boy right there. Okay, all right, all right. What this song does for me, though, and, and possibly it does something different for you, but it really puts me in the perspective of maybe what Mary was thinking. And I think perspective is so big, because I think one of the things that, that really we have lost in this culture is the, uh, is the ability to have perspective. And to see something from somebody, from somebody different than us, to see somebody else's viewpoint, right? Because really, I, th- I think the worst thing that we could, one of the, the worst things we could ever do is to have a concept of something or somebody, but have no context, right? Where we've got a concept of a people group or somebody, but we don't actually know them. Or we've got a concept of of. of, of of a certain world issue, but we don't have any context, right? And what I think that this song does for us is it really gives us and really calls us to not just have a concept of what Mary did, but to try to get a context for what Mary was feeling, right? Where it's like, did Mary actually know what this baby was going to do? Did Mary actually understand who this child was? And really, I think she had somewhat of a a decent expectation. We see Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 33 here. This is one of the uh, accounts of Jesus' birth written by the author Luke. He says this. He says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Of a couple, um, You will receive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. Imagine you had an angel come to you. Your kid's going to be great. And you'll be called the Son of God, the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. A few scriptures down, Mary realizes what the heck's going on, and then she starts singing this song. It says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God and my Savior, for he has been been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name as mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation he has performed mighty deeds with his arm and mary said my soul is that the same verse oh okay he has scattered those who are proud in, in their inmost thoughts he has brought down rulers from their thrones built but he has lifted up the humble he has filled the hungry with good things he has sent the rich away empty he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors so what you see here Mary is basically saying I'm going to have this great kid and this person this son my son is going to be the one that's going to fulfill the promise to Israel 
essentially saying, the Messiah is going to come from me. I think Mary and probably most Jews in that time had an expectation of what they thought the Messiah was going to be and what the Messiah was going to actually do, right? So there was this promised Messiah. The Old Testament scriptures talk about there's going to be this coming Savior that's going to save Israel from their sin. They're going to save Israel. So I think Mary, being a Jewish woman, put the dots together and was like, okay, what's spoken in the Old Testament? It's going to be my son. And I think many Jews had this expectation of what they thought the Messiah was going to do and who the Messiah was going to actually be. So context is super important here, right? Because honestly, many Jews living in that time were, were living under Roman oppression. So the Jews, they kind of had their own state, but at the same time, they had quasi-freedom. They had just enough freedom to keep them happy, but they weren't actually truly free. Why? Because of the Roman Empire. So Jews, honestly, many Jews in that time frame did not like where they were at because they were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. So they were like, do you know what? If the Messiah is going to come and save Israel, the main purpose of the Messiah will be to free us from this insane, jacked up, messed up Roman Empire that is oppressing us. So I believe that is, in some sense, what Mary was thinking about her son, Jesus, that this is going to be the Savior that's going to come up and overthrow these crooked, jacked up Romans. Now, I wonder what she experienced, though, whenever she, that was her expectation, but what was her experience like whenever she was standing at the foot of the cross watching her son get murdered? By the by the very people that she thought her son came to overturn. Do you think there was possibly a little, I don't know, sadness, a, a little wrestling going on with her of, I had this expectation that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome, and now Jesus is on the cross getting murdered by the Romans. Do you see kind of how, how possibly... The, her experience didn't meet her expectation. Um, I think if there's anything that Christmas teaches us, honest, honestly, it's that many times the way that God works isn't the way that we would work. The way that God does things doesn't always line up with the way, if we were God, how we would do things. Many times the way that God works is completely contrary to what we would do. What we see here, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, which is actually in the same span of scriptures that, are the, that is talking and prophesying about Jesus, the prophet says, just throws these, these two little scriptures in there, and, and whenever he's talking about what the coming Messiah would do and look like and be like, he throws these two little scriptures in there. By the way... For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares God. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I think there's anything from Christmas that you have got to get is, is that God will not work according to, to the equation that you put him in. 
God will not work according to the equation that you like to put him in. Many times, his thoughts ain't your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. So I think we honestly need to see the Christmas story as the epitome of this verse. Because I know if I was God and I was going to send my son, he'd be having like a Thanksgiving Day Macy's parade kind of entrance. Dancers, fire going down throats, swords being thrown up. Like dance, I mean, just, just, just like, well, let's celebrate. But no, it wasn't all of that. It was the Son of God being born to a Virgin Mary, and she didn't, there wasn't even enough room for them in a hotel. So they had to go somewhere else. But I, you know, I think sometimes, honestly, we can miss God's will. We can kind of get messed up whenever God doesn't work as cleanly or as smoothly as we think he should. Many times, God works in a lot messier ways than what we think. God works in ways that, that in accordance to what we want, it doesn't always work. So look, we've got to understand, his ways are not going to be our ways. His thoughts are not going to be our thoughts. And what we honestly see is Christmas is this great example. Think about it this way. Many Jews thought that, that the Savior, the Messiah, was going to come and build an earthly kingdom. We see this multiple times in, in Scripture. They say, Jesus, okay, this stuff you're teaching about doing good to people, this stuff you're saying about be nice to your neighbor, love your neighbor, this stuff you're talking about, you know, blessed are the meek. Okay, okay great stuff. Um, are you going to overthrow Rome? Are you going to get us from this earthly oppression? Is this going to happen quick, Jesus? And many people... What their experience was of Jesus did not match their expectation. Because Jesus came and he said, hey, by the way, I'm God. And then we see this dude going and eating with sinners and tax collectors. Like the same people oppressing the Jews, Jesus goes and eats lunch with them. And they're like, this guy can't be the Messiah. There's no way this guy's going to be the savior of Israel. He's eating with those that are oppressing us. He even said, pay taxes to Caesar. Then they're like, oh, this guy's insane. This guy isn't just a blasphemer. He's the devil telling us to pay taxes to these crazy people. And then he has a, a teaching where, where he says he calls a, a Samaritan good. That would, that, you know, that would be like us calling the story of the good Taliban member. What they experienced of Jesus was not the expect did not meet their expectations. They expected the Messiah to come and build a earthly kingdom and sit on a physical throne. Jesus said, I did not come to build and sit on an earthly throne, I came to build and sit on a kingdom within you and sit on the throne of your heart. But many people missed it. Many people missed it. Why? Because they had the wrong expectation which dictated and influenced and messed up their experience. Have you ever had a time where your expectation of something or somebody did not match your experience? You know, Kerry Jones, he's been talking about this place, Mr. Boyle. 
or Boil Bowl or something over in City Center. Okay, it's so good. Other people making my expectation go up, right? So, like, he's been talking this place up, and I know I've been wanting to kind of, like, get there one of these days. I'm going to go check it out. But I've got big expectations. Like, Carrie's prophesying about this place. Like, this place will save your lunch needs, right? This, this, this place is what we've been longing for in City Center, right? It's like, he, he said how great it is. So I've got a large expectation. So I'm really, really interested to see, is my experience going to match my expectation? And, and really, if it doesn't, the experience then could almost jack up the expectation of different things in the future, right? Have you guys seen this? Think about this one, marriage. Talk about expectation. <laughs> Talk about your experience not matching your expectation. Right, you know, ladies, you kind of think, okay, the guy's dating me, he's doing stuff nice for me, he's being good, and, you know, he's, he's, he's cherishing me and putting me first, and, you know, it's just all good, and then you get married and you have this expectation like that's going to continue. <laughs> ladies are like, ha, 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 so funny. But then you see, you find out, so then he starts wanting to play video games before you. I thought you loved me. <laughs> then he, he wants to go hang out with his boys instead of stay at home watching Netflix. Or, you know, you know so it's like you had this expectation, like this is the way it's always going to be. When Not that that's wrong, but you probably should have had someone tell, tell you, level your expectation. I don't care how saved you are. I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. I don't care how many Bible verses you quote. I don't care how many worship songs you know. I don't care how many people you share the gospel with. Marriage is hard. Someone needs to tell you marriage is hard. Many times your expectations, your experience doesn't match your expectation. So really, whenever someone tells you marriage is going to be great, oh, just, just put God first and it's all good. Your marriage is going to be blessed, highly favored. No wrongs. And then you experience it, and you're like, who is this person? I don't even know. <laughs> Growing up, right, there was this book. Hopefully you never read it. Um, it was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Did anybody read that? Nobody read it in first service. We had some, we had a, oh, anyway, the concept of this book essentially was if you don't date but you instead do courtship, which basically saying, I'm going to date you with the intent, purpose of marrying you. If you do it that way, you are guaranteed to have an amazing marriage. You know, and then the guy started quoting scriptures and cars saying, you know, you know, this, I mean, it's, it's like a guaranteed thing. But, but what, you know, and you had a lot of people following that whole thing. But then whenever they courted and they got married, their experience didn't match the expectation that home dude set right in the book. Because the thing is, the guy put God's stamp on, on, an, on an expectation that wasn't biblical. Does that make sense? Where it was like, he said, if you do this, then God will do this. You do this, 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 God will do this, 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 this. And what he was saying was he made God an equation. 
and whenever the equation that you set for God, the expectation that you set for God doesn't work out the way that you want, typically what ends up happening is you end up cursing and being mad at God for honestly this expectation that isn't even biblical. That happens in so many ways where we place, it's not that God did not do what God said he would do, it's just that our expectation was warped. Like, we've got to make sure that we put the right expectations on God. Because, look, you've got to know, you have got an expectation, right? You have got an expectation of what you think God is and who God should be. You do, as much as you don't think. But your culture has probably shaped that. Your church has probably shaped that. Your scripture has probably shaped that. You have an expectation of who you think God should actually be. And the question is, though, what happens when you have this expectation of how you think God should be, but your experience doesn't line up? You know, because so many people, man, they get into this whole mindset, we can put God in this equation. And, and here's the thing. What I've seen dating-wise, marriage-wise, I've seen people date for two months. And they, and they get married, and they're doing great. I've known people that have put in two years of dating, gone through every bit of perfect stuff, and they're divorced. We've got to stop putting this equation on, say, if you do this, this is God will do this. this. Now, now, that doesn't mean that, there's the thing, doesn't mean that there are not smart principles. Someone came to me and was like, John, you know, I just met this great guy. He's not a Christian. I've heard him say God. But he said a cuss word after it. But he said God. I heard it. But I just really think I can get him in the church. I can get him saved. I would tell you, you're on drugs. Don't do that. That's stupid. That's called suit. Why? Because why, if Jesus is not just, if Jesus is the center of your life, why are you, why would you want to share one of the most intimate relationships on the planet with someone that doesn't share the core of who you are? I don't care what potential, but do you know what the crazy thing is? I've seen that work. I've seen a girl date a guy that wasn't serving Christ. And she brings him to church, and he gets saved, and they live ha happily, and they're doing great. The guy's a pastor now. But what I tell you, do that. No! That was God's grace, not God's plan. That was God's grace in your stupidity, right? And God will be gracious many times in that. So it's not that we say throw out principles, but we got to make sure we don't put a stamp on what God saith and jack up people's expectations. Does that make sense? Here's the thing. Something else. People say peace. You know, God wants to give you peace. God gives us a supernatural peace. And some of y'all are like, I got no peace. My life's crazy. My kids are crazy. My boss is crazy. My wife's crazy. There is no peace. But the crazy thing is you are expecting an outward peace. Scripture never promises you an outward peace. Jesus actually said to you, this world, you will have trouble. So if you're saying, I don't have peace, by, and what you mean by that, you don't have an outward peace, 
then you're missing the point of God's giving you peace. He didn't come to give you an outer peace. He came to give you an inner peace that surpasses all, that, that, that surpasses all understanding that when you have chaos around you, you're comforted inside of your heart because of the friendship and relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's not that God is being wrong and saying he doesn't give you peace. Your expectation of what you think peace is is completely wrong. So it's not God doing what God said he would do. It's your misled expectation. Does that make sense? Right expectation is absolutely huge in receiving from God. Why? Because it will shape our experiences. But at the same time, experiences can shape your expectation. Think think, uh, about this. One of the prophecies about Jesus is this. He would be the everlasting father. Now, some of you hear that word father, and because of your earthly father, the way he treated you, he walked out on, on, and he walked out on you. Whenever you hear that God is a father, you project onto God what your earthly father did to you. You say, I don't want God to be a father. I knew my father, and he was a punk. So now your experiences have shaped the way you almost view God. Because you say, if that's what a father is, I don't want God to be a father. I don't want him to be my father. I don't want him to treat me the same way that my dad did. I know some, some people that, that are materially blessed or broke, they will take their experience, if they're blessed, wealthy, well-off, they'll think, well, everyone should be blessed. And they've even made doctrines saying, well, if you're a Christian, you should be blessed. So they've taken their experience, put the God stamp on it, and said everyone should be blessed. And if you're not blessed, there's a reason for that. It's something that you're doing, that you're not doing right. And if you would just do this, 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 God would do this, this, this. But but in the same way, if some people take that, if you're broke, you're more Christ-like. So if you don't have money, then that's when you're really holy. And some people have said, if you're broke, you're more like Christ. So everyone should be broke. Give away everything. Give your, I mean, and, and it's like they've taken the God card and put it on it. No. Just because you have an experience doesn't mean it should be an expectation for everyone else if it's not stamped out and approved in Scripture. So stop taking your expectation and throwing it and trying, or stop taking your experience and shaping it and putting it on everyone else and saying that's what their expectations should be. That makes sense? So look, how do we deal with this balance? Experiences, expectation. What do you do whenever your experience doesn't match your, your expectation? And what do you do whenever your expectation doesn't match your experience? How do we solve this? The truth is this here. Interpret your experiences. So basically interpret your life. So think about your life, the good, the bad, ugly, whatever, right? So all of us here are a combination of all of our experiences, good, bad, ugly, Interpret your experiences through a gospel and Jesus-centered expectation. I'm going to say that one more time. Interpret your experiences. So I want you to interpret your, so you have this, obviously, expectation of who God is and, and what God's like, okay? And you have interpreted, you have formed this idea that when you think of God, you, you have a certain expectation of him. 
And so now you are interpreting every event in your life through this kind of like this, this expectation that you do know or you don't know. You might not even know that you have one. But today I, I pray that you find out what, what that is because it matters. But the key is in to interpret your experiences through a gospel and Jesus-centered expectation. And I, and I want to explain that to you. Stick, stick with me. Because the bottom line is this, y'all. Jesus is the key to Christianity. And this might sound elementary. This might, yeah, John, we know that we're not stupid. But at the same time, we can make Christianity about so many things that it isn't about. We're actually really good at it. Churches are actually really good at it. I mean, do you know how many times churches fight over crap that in the light of eternity doesn't matter? I mean, I've been a part of churches that fight over carpet color, that fight over the church name. People leave the church over stuff that in the light of eternity, and they're missing the whole point of, G of Christianity is Jesus Christ. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. The whole point of, of this thing is to be conformed to and be like and show through us who Jesus is. So Jesus is, Jesus is the center, but we've got to interpret even our lives and center our, our expectations on Jesus. And let me tell you exactly what, what I mean by that. We need to interpret our experiences through a gospel and Jesus-centered expectation, through Jesus' life, his cross, and his resurrection. His life, his cross, and resurrection. You're like, John, what does that mean? Let me explain explain it to you. You need to interpret your life experiences through the lens of Jesus's life. Because I think sometimes we can almost see Jesus as being just an example. Or we can also think he is a replacement. It's kind of like, well, Jesus suffered, so I wouldn't suffer. That's partly true. He died on the cross, so you wouldn't die on the cross. I partly agree with that. But Jesus did not suffer in his life, so you would have no suffering in your life. Does that make sense? In your life, Jesus never ever says, your life will be easy peasy lemon squeezy. So why when we hit difficult times, do we think Jesus has abandoned us? Why do we think our first go-to is, I must have done something wrong. This must be because of me. I'm suffering because Jesus wants me to suffer. I'm suffering because of what I did. When the fact is, we live in a fallen, broken world, Jesus, who was perfect, suffered. His best friend denied him. One of his best friends died. Jesus suffered. He was brutally beat. He had people resist his teaching. They called him a devil. They called him a glutton. They called him a drunkard. Like all of this stuff happened to Jesus, not so it wouldn't happen to us, but to set an example of what it would look like to follow Jesus. How encouraging. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But I think if we don't have that expectation, we will think whenever something like that happens that something different is happening to us or it's something that we did or it's something that we just that we just deserved. But look, the bottom line is this. Jesus' life sets the expectation for what a Christ follower 
will look like and a Christ follower will experience. And if you don't interpret your experiences through the, through the lens of a right expectation of Jesus' life and what Jesus went through, you will think you've done something wrong whenever it does. You haven't done nothing wrong. You're just experiencing a life of a Christ follower and person on this planet that says this, rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's stuff that happens to good and bad people. So we, so we got to stop saying, well, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. If that's true, Jesus is not true. We got to stop saying that mess because it's just not true. We have to know that as a Christ follower, Jesus' life sets the example for our life. We're going to have people not agree with us. But what we see in Jesus' life when people did not agree with him, he loved them anyway. He actually had relationship with them. He actually, you know, I mean, Jesus was an equal opportunity eater. You'll see one thing, Jesus was at a Pharisee's house. We all know what Jesus said about the Pharisees. He was not nice. Called them snakes. Called them vipers. He said, you go and convert someone to being a Pharisee, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. Mike dropped Jesus, okay. But then you saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was an equal opportunity guy. He was an equal opportunity hanger-outer. But he also got along with them. So we've got to understand, as Christ followers, we've got to stop taking this whole crazy victim mentality. Our culture hates us. The news agencies are just calling Christians bigots. This is so mean of them. Can't believe it. Y'all, we got to understand, if we're going to follow Christ, we're going to encounter the same resistance that Christ did. But we also need to follow his, his example that when he had insults hurled at him, he blessed them. When he was on the cross being murdered by people that he created, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was filled with the same Holy Spirit that you and I have access to to treat people the same way as Jesus did. His example is our example. So we've got to interpret our life, your life, through the life of Jesus. Why? So you won't think you've done something wrong or you won't think you're just weird or strange, but it's just the fact of following Christ and being a person on this planet in a broken, jacked up, messed up planet. Secondly, though, you've got to interpret your experiences and expectation through the cross of Jesus. You know, things happen in life and we have expectations messed up and, and, and we have experiences happen that make us question if God loves us or if we are valuable. And what I love about the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ, I, you know, here's the thing. I know we can see the cross as being this big, bloody mess where this guy's dying on it. And if you've ever seen the passion of, uh, of the Christ, what a great job they did showing the brutalness of crucifixion. But I know some people just see a big, bloody mess. I see it as God's megaphone screaming out to the world. I love you. I see the cross shouting at you today, at us today, at our world today, saying, you never have to wonder if I love you. You never have to wonder if God is for you. You never have to wonder if God likes you. Because do you know why? Jesus died on the cross. He took your place for your sin. And do you know what? You never, as a, 
as a Christ follower, ever have to worry or wonder whenever you hear the enemy's lies telling you you're not good enough, telling you he doesn't love you, telling you, oh, that happened because of something you did, blah, 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 blah. You can shut him up by saying the cross shows me God's love for me, he likes me, and he's for me. And I'm not going to interpret my self-worth based on what the enemy says. I'm going to interpret it on the price that was paid for me, and that was God's son being crucified in my place and for my sin that shows you and I what we are truly worth to God. And that is on the same equal status as his own son. And that is why we can confidently be called children of God. Some of you struggle with doubt and worry. Some of you struggle if God likes you, if God loves you, if God's for you. You just struggle with all of these thoughts, enemies throwing lies at you like crazy. And let me tell you this, you never have to wonder that no more because the cross shouts at you and speaks at you. You are worth the death of his son and your value is set for eternity. And you can shut the lies of the enemy up because of the work that Jesus did. Some of y'all need to get a little angry at the devil. I ain't telling you what, what I say to Satan. Straight up. His mission statement is to ruin you, destroy you, and kill you. If he had a website, 666.com, under vision, <laughs> vision and mission, <laughs> he would say, I've come to kill you and destroy you. That's his company's mission. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 here, Paul, he does an, an absolutely incredible job of talking about the power of, of the cross. He says this, when you were dead in your sins, not that when you were a bad person, not that when you were not a good moral person, said when you were dead in your sin, sin leads to death. Sin is simply this. Sin is you believing that your way is better than God's way. And you choosing what you think is best over what God thinks is best. When you were dead in your sin, and, and all of us have been there, done that. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I believe the cross was God's trash talk. Of saying, Satan, I know you might think you won a battle. You might think you won this ultimate war but you have no idea. Through the cross, you can be confident and know you are valuable, you have worth. But not just Jesus' life and death should kind of like set the expectation for us. We need to also view our experiences and set the expectation that we have through the lens of Jesus' resurrection. Okay? Now, let me tell you why. Now, I might get a little hype and throw this mic. Because I'm passionate about people walking in the freedom that Jesus offers. Not the false hopes, not the false, ex, not, not the false expectations, but if you do this, 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 gotta do this, 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 of saying no matter what the heck happens to you, you can walk in victory. And I'm gonna tell, tell you why. Because when we view our experiences and set our 
expectations based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, who meaning through that, resur- through that resurrection, he overcame death. And scripture says this in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be defeated was death. Like up until that point, no one had defeated death. No one had risen from the dead besides Jesus. So Jesus rises from the dead. Scripture says this too, that without Jesus rising from the dead, our faith is stupid. 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, our faith is pointless. Why? Because we're still in our sins. But Jesus did not just die on the cross. He didn't just go into the grave. He came out of the grave and defeated Satan, sin, and death. And now he lives a resurrected life. So now we, who were unable to live the life Jesus lived because of our sin, He lived a life that we could not live, died the death we should have died, and then raised to life because he was perfect and death and sin couldn't hold him down. So now what what do we do? We simply put our faith and trust in what Jesus did by grace, meaning we can't earn it. We put our faith and trust in what Jesus did. And because Jesus rose, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you rise with Christ. Whenever scripture says you've been raised with Christ, that's exactly what that means. Christ reaches down to to where you're at and brings you up to where he is, not on your own merit, not on your own good works, but because of his good work and his ability to do what you could not do. And so he brings you up with him, not just eternally, but right now. And the resurrection impacts the way you live now. How How do I know this? Resurrection isn't just an event, it's a lifestyle. The resurrected life isn't just an event, it is a lifestyle. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work to the good of those that that love God and have been called according to God's purpose. The resurrection shows me that we don't have to go in this life wondering if we're gonna win. I wish there was another person excited as she was. The resurrection of Christ proves that we don't ever have to walk through this life wondering if we're gonna ultimately win in the end. The thing is this, not that we're gonna lose, you're gonna lose some battles. And you can lose some battles, but ultimately you will lose some battles, but you won't lose the war. The war has already been won. When Jesus overcame sin, the war for your soul had been won. Now you're gonna lose some battles, you're gonna fail, you're gonna have some things happen, expectations, experiences happen, and and you're gonna feel weary, down, disappointed, anxious, depressed, you're gonna have all of those things, yes, but I'm saying though, even in those, Romans 8, 28 says, God will work all things to your good and for God's glory if you let him. What is that basically saying? You can't lose. God takes even the mess in your life and makes it your message. God takes your junk and transforms it into something beautiful. He takes all things and takes it and will make it for your good if you let it. And my passion is to see Christ followers stand up and live as victorious people. Not this old wishy-washy, oh, God is good all the time, all the time, and you're just weird and you know, kind of like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, kind of this like aloof, you know, person. 
but someone that is confident and secure in who they are in Christ, knowing their worth because of the cross, expecting whatever might happen because it happened to Jesus, but also knowing we are victorious because Jesus is victorious and we can live victorious right now. That no matter what happens to you, you win. It'll be worked for your good. What if you changed your mentality of you are not a victim of life, but you are a victor in life? Not because of you, not because you're great, not because you're awesome, not because you have a different mindset, because of what Jesus has done. And you put your faith and trust in his life and in his promise. Romans 8, we, I gotta hurry, what time is it? Okay, we're not doing bad. Okay, we got some time. We good, we good. Sorry, is everyone good? Okay, good. Romans 8, 31 through 39. This is Paul. So basically right after this, right after he, he goes, oh, yeah, all things work to the good, he goes into this whole portion here, which is just powerful. He says, what then shall we say in response to, to these things? Basically saying in response to this whole fact of everything works for our good. What can we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you get that, that, that I don't know, revelation today. If God is for you, and how do we know God's for us? The cross. How do we know we're going to win? The resurrection. So if God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whose God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it he who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these, say all, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, either the present nor the future, nor any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's stand up, church. Come on. Let's stand up, church. Listen, I know some of you had an expectation of who you thought God should be and what God should do, and your experience did not line up. And possibly you got to this point where you said, this old Jesus thing isn't true, God isn't true. The thing could have actually been your messed up expectation instead of God's faithfulness. Some of us, our experience has shaped the expectation of who we think God is and who God should be. And your experience has actually warped your expectation. But I tell you what, what we see in this Christmas story is the question is no longer, Mary, do you know? The question now is, do you know? Mary knows. Mary knows the power of God. She was there when Christ resurrected. She was there, she knows. But do you know this Christmas season that's the new question. And my prayer today is that you would take your experiences and take your expectations and properly interpret them through the life, the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus so you can live in victory, not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of what Christ did for you. Let's pray, church. Father, we just wanna pause right now. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your word today, God. I pray that the word that was spoken would sink deep into people's hearts. Lord, I pray for a fresh revelation, that they would see you in a whole new way. They'd see themselves in a whole new way. 
that God, they would know that they can live in victory. Not that everything's gonna be peasy peasy, lemon squeezy. Not that everything's gonna be easy. Not that you're some equation, but we can know in whatever happens, in all things, you will work for our good and for your glory if we let them. If you're for us, who can be against us? I pray that you would raise in this church followers of Christ who live in victory. That don't be victims to life, but live in victory in this life because of the victory you have already won and you freely give us. I pray that we would be receivers of victory today. I pray for every heart, mind, and soul that doesn't believe that. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would show them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Really, really quick, we're going to sing. Just kind of close out today. Really, really quick, though. I just want to give anyone here the opportunity. If you've never made a conscious decision to follow Christ, to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross in your, you know, on the cross for your sins, and you want to make a decision today, this is what we're going to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to take a time of privacy, really, really quick. If you say, John, I want to give my life to Christ today, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. All of us here, we're all just going to simply repeat this prayer. And look, if you. The thing is that I believe if you pray this prayer with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, God will see your heart, accept your prayer, and welcome you into his family. Because that is what God came to do, make you family, make you sons and daughters of God. This is what we're gonna do. If you need to pray this prayer and make a decision today, I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer with everything you have. And look, we're gonna have everyone else here join in with you to, to, to celebrate and join in with you. Pray after, and pray after me, church. Jesus. I give you my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sins. Thank you when I was dead in my sins, when I was doing my own thing, you reached down and pulled me up to where you are and gave me new life in Christ. I receive that today. I make a decision to follow Christ. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and I will follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Lifehouse family, can we just give it up for all those that said that prayer today for the first time? Listen. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kill Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much and God bless.